0: And thanks for listening to the adulting is easy podcast this is lauren and i manage the adulting is easy blog and podcast which can be found at real and anywhere you listen to podcasts please take a second and hit the follow button wherever you're listening if you can safely do so please also rate and review as well it really really helps you guys and thank you so much for those of you that have been doing it i'm joined today by tom brickman the frugal gay age 39 married dog dad from dallas texas He recently retired from his 9-to-5 to to work on real estate full-time with his 20 Doors, a resale business, and The Frugal Gay. Tom provides one-on-one coaching and covers financial literacy and getting that first real estate deal under contract. Visit thefrugalgay.com for more information. Thanks for joining me, Tom. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to have you back. So are you considering a refinance? You should check out Jasmine Mortgage Team. Jasmine and her team can help you refinance your primary, secondary, or investment homes. Jasmine Mortgage Team is one of the top 10 women-led mortgage lenders in the nation with over 20 years' experience. Head on over to jasminemortgageteam.com and tell them Lauren from Adulting is Easy sent you. That's jasminemortgageteam.com. Our goal for today, as it always is, is to make adulting a bit easier for our listeners by discussing a personal finance topic, since managing money is a big part of adulting. So Tom, today we're going to talk about using real estate to leave your nine to five.
1: You were my very first podcast I had ever recorded, so I'm excited to be back. I'm ex- It's been eight months, ten months, and um, I was able to, since I spoke with you last, I was able to transition away from my nine-to-five, which is a really big deal. I've been working on it for years. I had tons of self-doubt in January. Well, I guess technically in December I put in my notice, and in January of uh, 2022 I felt comfortable enough using my real estate to leave my nine to five.
0: That's so incredible. And just so everybody knows that adulting is easy, 60 using side hustles to fund real estate. So Tom, before we've kind of focused on the side hustles to obviously, you know, fund real estate this time. I want to focus on kind of how the real estate specifically allowed you to leave your nine to five. When did you know that you wanted to retire early?
1: Uh I mean probably 3 or 4 years into my um 9 to 5 job I was just like I can't do this forever I don't want to go to another company and do this there I want to build my own empire and I'm going to say I was in my late 20s maybe 26 27 and I just made it a passion to get to 10 rentals and once I had 10 rentals I felt like that was strong enough and I was actually I think I was at 17 rentals this past uh January when I actually left. So my number was off. But um, I just, I set that goal. I set, you know, a net worth of a a certain dollar amount. By the time I was 30, I didn't hit it. I hit it at 31. And I just kept working towards it.
0: So you were 26 or 27 when you knew you wanted to retire early. But you already had At least one, but what, probably two rentals by then?
1: I I think at that time, I I probably had four doors when I was like, "I I think I can make this work. And I still wasn't even making money. And that's one thing that I see a lot of when I do coaching is people will get one rental or two rentals. And they're like, I don't get it. I'm not making any money. Well, it took me a long time. And I think once I hit that fifth rental door is when I actually started making decent money. And I'm like, okay, it's a process, you just have to get over the humps. And you know, sometimes we have expensive weeks. And sometimes we have really great quiet months. Um, So people love to give up after one or two. But I think I was at four when I decided I can do this, this could get me out of this nine to five.
0: So what made you keep going if you weren't making money? My stubbornness
1: and I saw so much opportunity um, when I really was going at this. This was like 2009, 2010, 2013. And there were so many opportunities in Dallas where I was based. And I just saw that there was, um, you know, to me, I, I, I remember looking at this condo and I remember looking at a car in the same week. And I'm like, I could buy this condo for $14,000 or I could buy this car that I have to pay for. For $14,000, and I can collect money on this condo every single month, or I can pay out money on this car every single month. And I think I really want to buy the condo versus buying a brand new car. And that just that mindset is what kind of made me pivot my approach and look at things a little bit differently.
0: And then you started at some point, or maybe you were all along, flipping product to grow your portfolio quicker.
1: Yes. I, um, I had purchased two properties before the financial crisis, and it was like financial trauma. It was, and when I say financial trauma, it was the underwriter bringing me just a million questions. And every day it was just like 18 questions. I'd answer everything, get them whatever they'd asked for, and then they'd come back with more questions. And it was just a lot different from what I bought in 2004 and 2005. And going through that in 2009, I'm like, I don't want to borrow money from another bank again. So I started figuring out ways to flip and fund my projects through side hustles. And that's, you know, what we talked about on the last episode was started an eBay business. I started a resale business, just found opportunities I out. I, I would go out to flea markets and sell product. I would help vendors at the flea market sell products and that was how I was funding those deals early on to kind of scale and grow. So I was at least picking up one door every year was always my goal.
0: Okay. So one 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 door per year, but you got one in 2004, one in 2005, then the crisis hit in 2008. And then you started buying more after that. So it was a sometime then 2009, 2010, probably where you actually started making money. So you're like, six years into this when you finally started actually making money is that right
1: six or seven years yeah i bought in 2009 and then when i flipped my 2009 purchase is when i'm like okay i can actually make money doing this and and i bought a great property in 2011 i had just some really good solid purchases from 2011 12 13 14 up through 15 in dallas and I've traded some of those up. So I started with those smaller condos and then I traded it into a multifamily property. Now
0: people sometimes hear about these big multifamily properties that people own or, or whatever, or the number of doors purely. And they think, I don't see how I can get 10, 15, 17, 20 doors, but it has to start with like one or two right? I mean, you have to start. And then like you said, you can be trading up maybe from condos to single family, single families, duplexes, and maybe into I know you have one commercial property, right? I mean, this is something that I don't think a lot of people think enough about is how you kind of just have to get started, then you have to kind of trade up along the way.
1: You do. And I get in heated arguments on Facebook. And this is why I stay off the platform. um, Because I have friends that are like, my rent went up, $400 a month. I can't afford it. And then I'm like, well, here's a condo that you can't afford. This is what the payments would be. And they're like, well, that's not in the exact neighborhood I want to be in. And I'm like, okay, but you start there. You live there for two years. You fix it up, make it nice while you're there. And then you go into the neighborhood that you want with a great down payment. So it doesn't happen overnight. You can't just skip all the steps and get to the A-class super fancy condo in downtown Dallas with the skyline view, but you can get there by scaling up over time. And people need to understand that it takes time to build it. It's not a one size fits all.
0: So from the time that you bought your first property to the time you were able to leave your nine to five was what, like 18 years? Basically. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Cause I was 39 when I left, uh, the nine to five, I bought my first piece of real estate when I was 21. So it took 18 years to, I, I really could have left when I was 37, but I doubted myself and it was right before COVID. And if I could go back in time and do it over again, I would have left then because I would not have wanted to go with my past employer through COVID. But, uh, it took a lot of time and a lot of practice runs and a lot of expensive fixes and mistakes along the way and bad purchases to get to where I feel comfortable pulling the plug and, you know, making uh, a career with with real estate and coaching and the frugal gay and all the uh, things that I've been working on for the past 15 months.
0: Yeah, which is just so awesome. So once You decide you want to retire early. I think there's, at least for me, there was this initial moment of like excitement, almost giddiness when you figure out the numbers work and you don't have to trade your time for money and your money can make you enough money to pay your expenses. So you go through that, but then... Does it get hard? What were some of the challenges along the way? Once you knew you wanted to retire early and getting from like point A to point B,
1: it gets scary. And um, once I got to point B, it's I was not mentally prepared because my friends still have nine to five. So now I'm alone during the days, and there's lots of doubt from family along the way. They they will. You know, be like, oh, you're, do-, you know, I I get in arguments still with my mom over buying ugly houses, and and a lot of times they just don't get it. And she loves the end product. She she's super proud. She'll show my, off my before and after pictures. But there's doubts from family and friends. And when you have family and friends not supporting you, you're kind of alone on this journey. Um, I have a great supportive partner who totally gets it and saw how much that job was draining me and. How much more relaxed and how much more available I am now, which I wasn't available back then, it's hard when you don't have the support, and it's hard when you don't have a good network and I think that's part of what really pushed me along was I built up a little network on Twitter, and I had these people I could bounce ideas off of and bounce tweets off of and bounce thoughts off of and getting to where I could do that with other people was awesome because I'm not alone I'm not the only one you know. When I still talk to friends and family, they think it's foreign that I'm not going into a nine to five and punching in my eight hour shift and working it. But I I worked for 18 years growing this and that's my outcome was I don't have to do that anymore. And they see that and and, you know. Last week when I was in Ohio, I got to sit with my grandma and look at wedding photos and all these experiences that I missed out on while I was working, I can now do and I can join in family vacations and I can take off a holiday. I have worked every single Christmas and Thanksgiving for 16 years and that's not cool. You can't get that time back. So owning my time was my goal, even more so than the financial freedom part, but that's one thing that people, you know, okay, so you have enough money, have a, enough income, but owning that time is amazing.
0: How did you know you were ready at 39 versus 37? Like how, what, what, what happened to make you feel like you were able to take
1: the leap? So, uh, we spent, my, uh, husband and I spent a month just living off of income from rentals and anything that he made and anything that i made from my nine to fives just went into savings and did not get touched under any circumstances and i did that twice i did it two months and i just wanted to make sure that this income was okay with where we're at and you know we had enough coming in that we felt that we did not have to do it anymore
0: that's awesome and having a supportive partner is huge I don't think, though, that you need necessarily super supportive friends and family immediately around you if you can build that online network like you have done, like I have done. I've seen this in myself, but also I've talked to, obviously, I interview a lot of people and people that are part of the financial independence retire early movement, if you will. And people get excited up front about this once they hear about FIRE, once they get this idea of buying cash flowing assets and investing and what that can do for you. that they kind of want to tell everybody and they think that they're going to tell everybody and everybody around them is going to be as excited as they are. Right. And then they're not. And so I've gone through this before where it's just like, you know what? They know enough. My friends and family know enough about what I'm doing and what I know. And they know that I'm here for them. But I have had personally to try to Kind of keep those conversations and and keep my real estate stuff to the people that actually understand it and care about it. I don't know if that's been your experience as well.
1: A hundred percent. You want them to be excited. You want them to be there with you, and they are upfront. But it's not something that a lot of people will follow through with. So yeah, I, I've had similar experiences.
0: So Tom, you mentioned what you wanted to do was own your time. It wasn't about the dollars amount or how much money you had or your net worth. It was about owning your time. So tell me a little bit about what what that means for you. Owning
1: my time uh, and since January has been amazing. And basically what that means is if I want to take a vacation last month, I took a vacation to Mexico, we drove up to Houston one weekend, we drove to Oklahoma one weekend, and just being able to spend time with friends and family without any constraints, not asking for PTO, and being able to be present. And that's one thing as a nine to five, I would come home so drained. And the last thing I wanted to do was sit and talk and do this and do that. I was drained, exhausted, tired, sore. I just wanted to go to bed. So now I have control over that. And I still get up at the same time, even though I don't have a job. I'm usually up at 630 or 7. And I go to the gym and I do things that I value instead of things that a company is paying me to do. And if I don't want to do it, if I don't want to go to a rental and pull out carpets for a renovation, then I can pay someone else to do it. And that's part of, you know, owning your time. Do you want to commit to this project? Or is this just something that you're using to, I don't know, fill time?
0: Not asking somebody else for PTO sounds awesome. I love it. I've gotten my hand slapped even on with unlimited PTO before. It, <laughs>
1: it's it's one of the best things now, always, whenever I'm doing something, like when I was up in Ohio, I'm like it's the middle of may this is a busy time in the industry that i was in i would never be allowed to be up here right now so this is awesome that i can go on a walk and walk down to the zoo and spend the day walking around the art museum when i'm done there and i love having that flexibility that when i booked the mexico trip i booked it 10 days before it was a great deal i went and met a friend and i spent three nights four days in mexico just walking around going to museums going to good restaurants, and. I couldn't do that before. I didn't have control of my time because someone else dictated to me, no, you can't have that time off or yes, you can have that time off.
0: How do you balance feeling productive? I think for me, when I think about my job and I think about almost being entitled to PTO, right? I'm entitled to this week off. But when you don't have to ask anybody, there's no entitlement for it. Like, how do you balance when it's time to work on maybe the rentals or when it's time to go on vacation or when it's time to do this or that? I,
1: as I transitioned away from my job, I really started using my calendar and I only fill my calendar with things that are important to me. And today I did the gym before this. I've got this podcast recording. I'm going to look at a house at noon and then I have a coaching session at three thirty this afternoon. And those are things that matter to me. So I fill the calendar with things that are important. And I got to go to a wedding a couple of weeks ago. And these are things that I just, you know, they weren't priorities because my employer was saying, you need to be here. We are the priority. And now I can build something that is important to me. So I fill my calendar with things that are important. And there's days that I, tomorrow is super light. So maybe I'll go work on a rental tomorrow. I fill it with things that are important to me. And that's one thing owning your time wise. You have to, you know, what's important to you. I think it's important to me to sit with my grandma last Wednesday and look at wedding photos with her from um, when she got married 60 years ago. That's important to me. So it went on my calendar.
0: That's so cool. and. The idea of having a calendar when you're retired might rub some people the wrong way, but that's what works for you, right? Having having lists, having things, having a schedule a little bit, and that's
1: okay, right? Yeah, because the lack of structure and not having to get up and be at work at 7 a.m. is tough, and it's not something that I was mentally prepared for. I've listened to a million different podcasts. I've read a lot of different books, and I was not ready. So I found out after week one, okay, I got to start using this calendar, and I got to start putting things on my calendar so I can map out my days. Cause that first week and that first transition was tough because all my friends that I interact with daily are still working nine to fives. My, my spouse is working his nine to five and, um, I did not do well with that lack of structure. So the calendar has been kind of a, a key, you know, I knew this morning when I got up and I went to the gym that I had to get there early and do a good run. Uh, so I could be here for this recording and that's what works for me.
0: What about how you identify yourself? I think in America, at least, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but what do you do is like the first question we ask. And I even think of myself that way. And I have, I think a how I feel about myself and my confidence is sort of related to, I have a career and I have a high paying job and things like that. How do you, how does that work with like, how you think of yourself when you don't have a job. Was that weird? Is that weird? It it
1: is weird. Um, So this morning I wore a frugal gay t-shirt to the gym. And um, when I scanned my tag, the girl goes, what's your shirt mean? And I'm like, oh, it's my business. She's like, well, what do you do? And that's always, like you said, the first question that people ask. Uh, So I identify as a real estate investor. Um, because i talk about it the most and i make a lot of money from real estate investing from rentals from collecting rents but that's kind of been a transition for me because i was always a movie theater employee which is what i did for the last 15 plus years it's just different it's you know people are like okay well what do you invest in? you know how do you invest in real estate what are you doing and there's so many different real estate investors and different Networks out there that they just start asking questions. So that's how I identify now as a real estate investor. And people are more comfortable with that answer than I've retired early.
0: Speaking of comfortable, are you comfortable with your financial situation? Like, you know, I'm not going to have to get another nine to five. Is there any worry about that?
1: There's no worry about that. Um, and I did sign up for volunteer time at a charity that I really like here in Dallas. But I do like what some of the phi community has done where they've they're financially independent, but they work a day or two at Starbucks or they work a day or two at Lowe's for discounts because it keeps some structure and it keeps a little bit of tiny income in. So that may be something I look at in the future, especially after the summer. I've got a really packed summer between travel and properties that we're working on but I don't know that I would ever go to a high level type of management. Um, you need to answer to the vice president position again, because it just, it's draining. And I can just say this. I I took a part-time job back when I was in debt back uh, right when I first moved to Texas and I worked at Ross and I was an employee and I think it was eight or $9 an hour. And I loved it because I had no responsibility. I could go in there one or two days a week. I could clean my section up. I could ring on the register and I could go home and completely forget about it. And I think that's something that I would do again. But I don't think going back to a management position or even needing to go back to that would be something that I would consider doing.
0: So what does retiring mean to you then?
1: It's gonna bounce back to the the owning your time. So, I, when I got the wedding invitation, it was a opening weekend of a big movie. I would have never been able to go to this wedding if I kept that job. So I picked up and we went to the wedding, and it it, it just opens doors to opportunities that when I was constrained, I couldn't do. I couldn't invest in in even certain properties because, like for instance, the property I'm looking at today, it's a one day, it's an auction. I would be at work right now. I would not be going over there at twelve o'clock to look at a property and and bid on it so owning owning my time is a big part of retiring early.
0: I didn't think about it that way too that there are some things that you can't invest in because of your job, so that's that's huge too. It's like you can make more money outside of your job if you don't
1: have definitely job.
0: so somewhat controversial question here. Does it count as retired if your spouse is still working?
1: To me, yes. My spouse is 10 years younger than me. He just turned 30, and I'm going to be turning 40 this year. And we are working now on building his doors up. And um, he should be in the same spot that I'm in right now in nine years. So he um, is putting in time. So to me, yes, even though I have benefits through my spouse right now, But I know some people are like, well, you're not really retired early because your spouse is working and I get both sides. But to me, yes. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think the idea is, I think probably if he wanted to quit, he could too, right? And so that's how I look at it. It's like, as of right now, both me and my husband are technically FI and work optional. So if I choose to stop now then I've retired and he is just choosing to work longer. So that's how I think of it. And that is our plan. I get my, my spouse is also younger. He's only three years younger. He's not 10, but you know, our plan is for him to work a while longer, maybe, maybe part-time enough to get some benefits still things like that for at least a few more years and me, me maybe done working, you know, in a couple of years. So we have the same kind of plan as you are the older person kind of, be done a little sooner. So I think I think it totally counts as retirement. I just wanted to ask it because I'm sure some people ask you that a lot. And I'm sure some listeners might be thinking along they those do. lines.
1: That's a common one.
0: So what advice do you have, Tom, for people who are just starting to wrap their heads around this idea that you should make your money work for you, that you should invest it, that your money can make money and that you can actually replace your active income with somewhat passive income. What advice do you have for those? start as
1: early as you can? I wish I bought more in 2009 and through 14, but start as early as you can. And people bounce interest rate questions off me all the time. And what about this and house prices falling and another crash. And I, my answer is always the same. If you have a good asset, it doesn't matter if the value temporarily falls or cools off. Because you have a solid asset that's producing income, and r- right now um, I'm working on a property in Ohio, or the the one that I actually just picked up, picked it up at fifty two thousand, could probably sell it for sixty thousand, but it cash flows, collecting six hundred and fifty dollars a month on it, regardless of if it's a thirty thousand dollar house, a sixty thousand dollar house, or a ninety thousand dollar house. So if you have that right asset, you should not worry about that, and that's you know I weathered that in two thousand. Eight and nine, and I had three doors at that time, and during those times, the rents didn't really fall. I just you know it was a little bit harder for people to pay rent sometimes, but in general, I collected rents and made my payments and weather it so if you're going into this, start as young as possible, and you don't have to do real estate. you can do dividend income i mean I'm impressed with some of the people that I encounter that are you know collecting just as much that I, as I'm collecting in rents. From dividends. So there's a million different ways to do it. But my number one thing is just start. And even if you have to start with $50 a month, you are ahead of a lot of people who never even started because so many people will come at you and say, I want to start, I want to do this. And they never start. And that's what I when I have coaching clients. That's always one of the things that I say is. You're ahead of a lot of people because you took initiative and actually started where I get a million DMs a day and people are like, I want to do what you're doing, but they never start. So that's, that's my biggest piece is start with something and build off of it. And it might not be a dream at first and it may not make money at first, but at least you start it.
0: Could not have said it better. Love it. So is there anything else you want to add before we wrap um, up?
1: I uh, am super excited that I got to come back here. I am providing coaching, which you can reach me at thefrugalgay.com and book a free session if you just want to chat or talk about goals. Or I mean, I've done both sides of the spectrum from real estate to paying off high interest credit cards. I just got done with a, a client that went from 19 credit cards when we started last year and she's down to three. And I'm I think I might be a little bit more excited than she is, but having that weight off of her and I, I just get excited. Cause it's, she's like, this is amazing. She's like, they're raising my credit limits and I'm not even asking them to, I'm like, I know that's what happens when you pay off everything. And you know, so, uh, I provide coaching. Uh, you can book through the And if you just want to chat or interact, you can hit me up on Twitter at the frugal gay 11 and same name on Instagram
0: everybody you can follow me on twitter at adulting is easy you can email me at realadultingiseasy at gmail.com don't forget i've been saying this for a while join our wealth wednesday twitter spaces tom is one of my co-hosts for that one of my fellow speakers we've covered real estate tokenized real estate crypto quitting your nine to five increasing your income and a ton more thanks again for listening everybody hopefully tom and i have made adulting a little easier for you